Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. You know, the story of Easter isn't really lost in many of our lives. We kind of get an idea of what it's all about. But you really can't celebrate Easter unless you go back to Good Friday. Unless you know what Jesus did on the cross. And today I want to read to you just a portion of the Easter story. I want to make a couple of of points. and, And then I want to bring your attention to the scripture when it comes to salvation. In Luke chapter 24, verse 1 3, the Bible says this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took spices and had prepared and went to the tomb. Now we know that they had crucified the Savior on Friday, right? That they had buried him in a borrowed tomb and now the women were going to anoint the body of Jesus, which was customary for the Jewish people. They would go and they would take frankincense and and different oils, and they would anoint his body, they would clean his body, they would wrap him in a linen cloth, and they would prepare him for his eternal or his, his earthly resting place. And the Bible says that very early in the morning when the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly... Two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. They were angels of heaven. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified and on the third day be be raised again and then they remembered his words. Can we pray today for just a moment? Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that today we're able to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Holy Father, that you would minister to every heart to every family, to every young person in kids' life, to every young adult, to every married couple, to every teenager in this place. God, I pray for those that are watching from home and around the nation. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to them today, that they would find healing and restoration in the power of your resurrection. This we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on, can we give God just another big shout of praise this morning? You know, today I want to look at death's defeat and point out some incredible truths found in the resurrection of Jesus. And I love this story. The Gospels all tell it a little bit differently, but they pretty much will say the same thing. And one of the things that I have to give a shout out to is to the women that were following Jesus. Because the men scattered and they were afraid because they had just crucified Jesus and For whatever reason, God allowed, well, I know the reason why God allowed the women to go to the tomb first. Because they were going to see an empty tomb. They were going to have an encounter with the angels. And then God was going to need to get the word out that he's not dead, he's alive. And who better (laughs) to get the word out than the women of God? 
Come on, I'm not bagging on you. I'm celebrating you. In fact, some of the most dynamic evangelical women or people in the Bible were women. Come on, the woman at the well. When she had an encounter with Jesus, she went and told everybody about Jesus. So I think God, God knows better than we do sometimes on how to get the word out because they came back to tell the disciples, listen, we went to the tomb. He's not dead. He's not in there. He is risen. He's alive. This is what the angels told us. And so we thank God for our women. <laughs> Praise God. Almost got in trouble there. So today I'd like to look at the death of defeat and point out some incredible truths found in the resurrection of Jesus. Because you really can't talk about the resurrection of Jesus on Sunday without a healthy reminder of, of humanity's decaying morality and mortalities and, and what God did on Friday. And let me just start by saying this. This is my first point. We all live in a broken and dying world. There is no hope in this world outside of Jesus. There is no one who can heal you like Jesus can. There is no one who can restore you like Jesus can. There is no one who can bring you from a place of darkness into a place of his wonderful light like Jesus can. And the sad truth is that cemeteries today are always open for business. They will never, ever close down until Jesus Christ comes back to reign with the bride of Christ, the church. The, Bi the Bible bears witness of this stark reality. In Hebrews chapter 9, the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Listen, you only live once. You don't get a do-over. We don't believe in reincarnation because if that were true, then Jesus would have to die again and again and again, but he died once and for all, for all of humanity, regardless of what their belief system is. In Job chapter 30, verse 23, in the Old Testament, the writer of Job says, I know you will bring me down to death, the place appointed for all of the living. Psalms 89 and 48 says, who can live and not see death? Or who can escape the power of the grave? In Romans 6, 23, we know that the wage or the penalty, the penalty of sin is death, but the gift, the extravagant, gift of God is eternal life. We can't gloss over the hard truth that we are living amongst a dying race, living together on a planet filled with fear and hopelessness. And we know that life is fleeting and our place in it is but for a moment in the scope of eternity. One woman said, when someone teaches you how short life is, you tend to quit wasting it. Another poet once said, death whispers in my ear and says, live, for I am coming for you. Psalms 90, Moses, the one that led the children out of Israel, right, into or towards the promised land. He wrote a psalm, and it's recorded in Psalms 90 in the Old Testament. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, you brought forth the whole world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. 
You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night, yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All of our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 or maybe even 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. For, the, for they quickly pass and we fly away. And if only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. He's talking about when it comes to humanity living in disobedience. He says, teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord, our God, rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Here's Moses kind of unpacking his experiences in life. He had a very difficult life and yet he recognized that there are always going to be good times and there are always going to be bad times, but God helps us through the bad times and leads us into the good times and into the promises that he has for you and I. We all go. We, one day we will all go through the valley of the shadow of death sooner or later. The only question really is, is how will you and I make that journey? I don't know how good you are at instructions. I, I, I tend to rely on my, my apps to get me to where I am, to where I need to go, because the app has been designed to lead me, right? The, the app has been designed it has been designed to help me get some from where I was to where I need to be in the shortest manner of time. But back then in those days, there were no apps. There was no MapQuest. There was no Google Maps, right? And so the only question is, is how do we make a journey through the valley of the shadow of death, the place that we will all experience at one time? Will we take the word of someone who's never experienced death and conquered death, or will we allow the only one in all of human history that has ever resurrected from the dead by his own strength and his own power to lead us into eternal life? Who are we gonna listen to? I don't know about you, but if I'm gonna listen to anybody about expiring in this lifetime and entering into eternity, I'm gonna take the word of someone who's conquered death. I'm gonna take the word of someone who has the experience and the authority to lay his life down and to pick it right back up again. And the only one in all of human history that's been able to do that, his name is Jesus. It was never Muhammad. It it was never Buddha. It was never any man-made religion. It was only Jesus. This is the reason why he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is no other way to God. There is no other way to heaven except 
through me. Mary didn't die for you. Buddha didn't die for you. Joseph Smith didn't die for you. Come on. All the dead religion that's out there will never do anything for you. But Jesus went to the cross on your behalf, on my behalf, and made sure that he crucified sin and paid it in full so that one day in a beautiful church called Restoration Life on an Easter Sunday on 2022, someone might hear the gospel truth of his death, burial, and resurrection and open their hearts to this extravagant love that Jesus has for each and every single one of us. We only have two ways to answer the question. How will we make that journey and what will we find on the other side? Because we'll either go through the valley on our own misunderstandings or we'll take the testimony of someone who's been there and conquered it. If you face your own death unprepared, you will have to take whatever comes because once you're dead, you're dead. You don't get to come back. You don't get a do-over. You don't get reincarnated. In fact, we'll all stand before this judgment seat of God and he'll say, what did you do with the gift that I gave you in my son Jesus? And we can come up with a lot of different kinds of excuses. Well, you know, Lord, I was too busy following my passions and my career. You know, I was, I was doing me. I was doing me. I was, getting, I was becoming a better version of me. And God is like, well, where does that leave you now? Or, or, or God, I, I was building a business. I have, didn't really have time to, to worship you, to serve you, to honor you, to love you, to, to receive this extravagant gift that you gave me through your son, Jesus. And he's like, it's like I don't even know you. And there'll be others that will go, but, but didn't I go to church? And didn't I do this? And wasn't I good? And he'll go, I didn't know you. Because what makes the difference is not just who you know, but whom lives in you. And we have the Holy Spirit living in us today as born-again Christians. But there are no second chances. John chapter 6, verse 37 says, all those that the Father gives to me, this is Jesus talking, he says, all the, the ones that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Listen to that. It's like Jesus is waiting for you to come to him. He's waiting with open arms, saying, would you come? Would you allow me to love you? Would, would you allow me to transform you? Would you allow me in your heart and in your mind? Would you allow me to be your God and your Savior because I am your creator? And our response to that determines where we will spend the rest of our eternal life in. Jesus said, continues to say, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those, none of those he has given to me, but raised them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him, everyone, everyone, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I love this about Jesus. 
because he reaches out to the whole world, to the whosoevers of this world. He says, it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what you've experienced in life. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't even matter how good you've been. But if you'll just surrender your heart to me, I will not only rescue you, I will save you, and I will give you life and life more abundantly, not just here, but forever and ever, amen. John chapter 10, verse 17 says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay my life down only to take it up again. And I love this, what what he says next. He says, nobody, nobody takes it from me. We talked about this on Friday night, on Good Friday. He's like, if he wanted to, he could have came off that cross. If he wanted to, like if it were me, and if it were you, and you knew that you had the power and the authority to call warring angels from heaven to come down and not only remove you from the cross, but to like annihilate everybody that messed with you, like that would be me. I would be like the first time I got hit with that cat of nine tail, smite them, God. Destroy them, you know. And what was Jesus saying? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he stays on the cross. And it wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross. It was his love for you and I that kept him on that cross. Because he could have come down at any time. But he says, I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This is the command that I received from my father. And so we're all living in a dying and decaying world. Morality has been thrown out the window. It's like no holes barred. Everything goes. Everything on Satan's agenda is being implemented. And it's on the attack over our families, our marriages, our children, and our children's children. Honestly, I pray that Jesus Christ comes back soon. Because I don't want my children growing up. I don't want my grandchildren growing up in the world that they're going to have to grow up in. And this is all the reason more why we need to be strong as men and women of God. Why, need, why we need to have strong marriages and strong relationships and a strong support system and a strong church because we have to be a shining light in the darkness that our world is. We have to be the salt of the earth, right, so that we can show people the truth because it's only the truth that sets them free and Jesus is the truth. So second point, Jesus is our living hope. It's precisely at this point that the words of the New Testament become so crucial to all of us. Revelation chapter 1 verse 18. John was on the island of Patmos and he has this revelation. God gives him a vision and he hears Jesus speaking clearly and he documents it and he says, I am the living one. I was dead and behold I am alive forevermore and behold I hold the keys of death and Hades. Now, I love that expression. I hold the keys. Because every time I leave my house, I take my keys with me. Those keys give me access and authority. They give me entrance into places where I have authority. Is everybody tracking with me so far? Jesus says, I hold the keys. Whoever has the keys holds the authority to let you in 
or keep you out. When Jesus came out of the tomb on Easter Sunday, he came holding the keys of death and hell in his hand, making sure that he keeps those, the whosoevers of this world, out of a place that they no longer belong in because he has taken the right of, of death and of Hades away from all of us. Jesus holding those keys has the power to release from death those who receive the free gift of salvation that he offers. Proof positive that he has conquered the grave and death. Here's another interesting story that you'll find in the resurrection in Luke chapter 24, verse 37. The Bible says that they were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, but as you see, I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still, did not believe because of the joy and the amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Could you imagine? Jesus was brutally murdered on Friday. They took his body down. They took it to the tomb, the borrowed tomb. They anointed, they went to anoint him and wrapped him in the cloth, the burial clothes. And on Saturday, they must have gathered together and were flipping out at the fact they killed our Jesus. They murdered the Messiah. And for whatever reason, it wasn't computing in their head. Now they had seen Jesus raise people from the dead. He had the power and raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He said, she is not dead, she is but asleep. Another way of saying that she was passed away, but he raises her from the dead. Jairus is excited, he, he's celebrating his, his daughter was once dead and now she is alive. Another good friend of Jesus by the name of Lazarus was put in a tomb. He had gotten very sick and he died and it was four days that he was in the tomb and Jesus shows up not while he was sick but after he had died and when he talked to his sisters he says hey take me to the tomb he says oh no Lord he's stinky by now <laughs> like no don't, don't, don't go in there and so Jesus doesn't even call Lazarus out right he doesn't even go into the tomb he doesn't put his hand on Lazarus he just says Lazarus come forth and here comes Lazarus. All wrapped up. And he resurrects him from the dead. Because he carried the power and authority. But nobody on planet earth ever had the power and authority to lay their own life down and to take it right back up again. Only Jesus had that power and that authority because he was God manifested in the flesh. And so this is the resurrection power. And so when he showed him them his hands and, they, and he was like, hey, y'all got something to eat? I'm hungry. <laughs> That's the EV translation, okay? But it just goes to show you, you, you might just gloss over that, but when I studied this, I'm thinking, okay, a ghost doesn't eat, right? A dream 
wouldn't have you prepare some food. Although there have been times that I have dreamt that I had found millions of dollars and then I went looking for it in my closet like if it actually happened. Has anybody ever done that before? Like I actually, it was so real. But this goes way beyond a dream. The Bible's very clear. He's like, let me get some of that fried fish. Let me get some of that fish. And the Bible says this to him. He said, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took and he ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them this is what was written. The Messiah, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead and on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And I love this. Because he's not dead. He is risen. But he was risen not in a transfiguration kind of way. He was risen in the flesh. He hadn't ascended to the right hand of the Father as of yet. In John chapter 20 Verse 19, Jesus again, another optic, another perspective, another gospel that tells the same thing from a different view. In verse 19, he says, on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders. Like they had just killed Jesus. Peter had denied Jesus three times when the, when the rooster crowed, right? He rejected Jesus. Everybody scattered. This is the atmosphere. This is like all hell is breaking loose. All kind of chaos is breaking loose. And they're thinking they killed him. Now he, they're going to come after us. And they were. They were coming after them. And so they were in a hiding place. And the Bible says that Jesus came and he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after this he said, he showed him his, his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's power. That's authority. Because he had the keys to hell and to death. Then Jesus appears to someone who's much like many of us are here this, this morning. A man by the name of Thomas. The Bible would call him, or, or humanity would refer to him as doubting Thomas. He's like, he's like, look, unless I'm able to touch the holes in his hands, which is kind of gross if you think about it. Like, like somebody just died brutally. And you're like, if I can't touch the hole in his hand or the spear that went through his side, if I can't put my hand in, like that's just nasty, Thomas. Right? But he's like, if I can't do that, I don't believe. i got to see it to believe it. Christians are discipled or taught to think of it differently. When I believe it, I can see it. But humanity is like, I have to believe it to see it. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus. I'm like, did he miss Jesus? No, okay. So one of the, one of the 12 was not the disciples when Jesus came. <laughs> so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, ill. And put my hand where his side was, ill. I will not believe. And a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And through the doors, even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, peace be with you. 
And then he said to Thomas, put your finger. Put your finger right there, Thomas. Oh, you're not down now? (laughs) See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Look at somebody sitting next to you and tell them, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said, watch this, my Lord and my God. Thomas had a revelation that Jesus was part of the Trinity of God. And not only did he declare him as Lord, but he declared him as God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But watch, this is when Jesus talks about us. Us. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. Come on, does anybody believe in our resurrected Savior this morning? The resurrection promises more than consolation. It promises full restoration. Restoration life. And as Christians, we don't believe that all good things must come to an end. We believe because of Jesus they keep on going. Look, this year, I'm turning 53. Roxanne's like in her mid-30s. I get it. <laughs> and I always used to say, and I, and I used to say this until... Really, the Holy Spirit corrected me. Because I always used to say, man, I'm going to be 53 this year. And I've been pastoring this year for 20 years. For 20 years, Roxanne and I have been pastoring for 20 years. If you add the five years of us being youth pastors, you can add another 40 years to that. Because youth pastors, y'all are a blessing. Anyways, 20 years. And I started thinking to myself, my mind tells me I can do stuff. But my body says, oh, no, you can't. And I started thinking that, you know, I have more years in front of me than I do behind me. Or I have more years behind me than I do in front of me because I'm turning 53 this year. And then in that instant, when I started processing that thought, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, just in a, a very gentle way in my heart, he said, If you're saved, you have more years ahead of you than you do behind you. And it wasn't because I was going to live another 50 or 100 years, but I get to live in eternity with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so every believer has more years ahead of them than behind them. And so the good news is far better than the bad news is. Matthew, another version, 27, verse 50 through 54. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs were broken. The bodies hit the floor. The bodies of the many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection. And they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Imagine when Jesus resurrected, like a lot of people's families resurrected. A lot of people's in-laws resurrected. A lot of people's brothers and sisters resurrected. And the Bible is clear. They were walking through Jerusalem like, what's up? Because of the resurrection power of Jesus. The Bible says that these sarcophaguses, these these tombs, if you've ever been on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, you'll know that the Hebrews or the Jewish people have a custom of burying people in small boxes where they would lay their bones inside. 
right? And it wasn't underground, but above ground. And the Bible's clear that, 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 that the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs were broke open. And the bodies of many holy people. God is only going to resurrect holy people. He says, the bodies of holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs. And after Jesus' resurrection, and went into the holy city. He appeared to many people. And when the centurion and those who, who were with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that, he had hap- all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Now in closing, I want to show, share with you this third point real quickly. Science cannot possibly explain the resurrection of Jesus because this is a transformation of hope only found in the power of God. We can't explain it either, which is why the gospel writers didn't try to describe the indescribable. I could only think of two words that describe what happened that first Easter. It was a pure miracle. It would shake humanity for all of humanity's history. People who aren't even Christians will declare what happened on the day that Jesus was crucified. And on the Sunday when he rose from the grave. So many people tried to stop the resurrection of Jesus. Now I've been to Israel a couple of times. And there's this place in front of the Temple Mount. And there's this gate that used to be open. They called it the Gate Beautiful. And what the Muslims did is that they, they bricked up that gate. And they put a Muslim cemetery in front of the Temple Mount, in front of the gate. Because they know that no Jewish man would ever walk and desecrate the land of a Muslim cemetery. So this false religion actually tried to keep Jesus from coming back the second time because they know the power of God in Jesus Christ. And so why would they board up the gate called beautiful? Why? Because the promises in the word is that he's gonna come back for his bride. He's gonna come back for his church. He's gonna come back for his sons and his daughters. And he's gonna come back. He's not coming back to the United States, you guys. So let's just clear that up, right? So, so he's, spiritually speaking, God could be everywhere all the time, everywhere. But he's very clear that he's going to come through the gate called Beautiful. And so they actually bricked up the gate and put a cemetery as if the Messiah couldn't walk through a cemetery or a wall to fulfill his promises to you and me. In fact, back in that day, they were like, all the Pharisees, you know the guys, the, the religious people that had him murdered? They were like, they went to Pontius Pilate and they're like, look. He said that he was going to resurrect on the third day. You need to send warriors, Roman soldiers over there to guard the tomb. To make sure that none of his disciples would steal his body. So get the picture with me. I can go on and on and on on this stuff. The Romans who are at this time the ultimate warriors in mankind, 
the fiercest soldiers to ever walk in that time period were commanded to guard the tomb with their lives against two fishermen, tax collectors, former prostitutes, everyday citizens that had come to believe in Jesus. And then on that good morning, on that Sunday morning, all these soldiers were knocked out. Now they knew that if they allowed anything to happen, they would have to pay for it with their life. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't go to sleep. That's not, that's not how they roll. But they, they were sent there to guard the tomb to keep anybody from sealing the body of Jesus, from rolling this massive stone away. And yet, on Sunday morning, when the women showed up, all the soldiers were asleep. And two angels, who probably put them to sleep, were like, what are you doing here? Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He is not dead. He is risen. Indeed, he is. This is a pure miracle. I love what Paul the Apostle writes to the church in Corinth. He says, for what I received, 1 Corinthians 15, for what I received I passed on to you as a first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. And after that, watch this, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living. Now, when Paul was writing this letter to the church in Corinth, it was a little, little bit longer than 40 years had passed. And he says, most of whom are still living. In other words, there is still a living, breathing testimony of over 500 people who saw the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And you're going to try to dismiss you can go to court, and on one witness, you can be sentenced to life in prison or even to death. On one witness, there's 500 witnesses that have declared he's not dead. He's alive. He's appeared to all of us. We had a fish fry at my house with him. I put my finger in his hand. Why is it that these, these disciples, these human beings, these Christians who were scattered in fear after seeing the risen Savior, now are willing to lay their lives down and take this message into all the world. Because Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He is risen. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has clothed itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting 
of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. He's not dead. He is risen. There is an answer to death. There is a hope beyond the grave. Is there anyone else who's ever defeated death on their own? No, but there is one, and his name is Jesus. I think God had this all planned out for our good. I'm going to close with the story of a picture. There is a painting that once hung in the Louvre Museum in Paris, painted by Friedrich Moritz August Redzich. That was his name. Today, the painting is popularly known as Checkmate. It's in private, it's in private hands now. It, it had been sold at Christie's auction in 1999. Let me get this out of the way so that you could see this painting. The painting depicts two chess players. One is Lucifer. And the other one is man. And there's an angelic being, which I don't really think that that's the way the angels look. I look at them as like, they're like gladiators <laughs> with flaming swords ready to throw down. But for the sake of this genre and this era, there's an angel that is looking over this game that's taking place between Satan and man. Now, are there any chess players in the house? Anybody who loves playing chess? If you know the game of chess, you'll know that there is a term that's called checkmate. Checkmate is when your king is surrounded and you don't have another move. At that point, you topple the king and you lose the game. And Satan, in this artist's depiction, is playing for the soul of man. And the title of this artwork is Checkmate. And there's a story that goes that there were a number of champions, um, world champions, athletes, um, and people of different kinds of genres of, of um, um, competition. And they were taking a tour through this French museum and they came upon this picture and the person in the museum described the picture and it said this is a picture that's been called Checkmate. It is a story of Lucifer and man and you could see that, the, that Lucifer's got like a smirk on his face and that man looks downcast and defeated. Because Lucifer has declared checkmate over this man. There is no way out. There is no other move. If Satan wins, he wins the man's soul. Now the story goes that there was a man that was looking at the painting that would walk through this art gallery with all these professionals. And... He stopped at this chest paint, at, at, this, at this artwork, and he started to look at it, and everybody kept on walking. And he was just sitting there, just staring at this painting. And he couldn't get it out of his head that Lucifer 
had called checkmate on mankind. That he had called a checkmate on this desperate soul that sees no way out. That that sees no hope whatsoever. And so as the story goes, the guy that stops to look at this picture is the world champion chess player. And he's just sitting there just looking at the picture. And he's just like in awe of this picture. And then the the, the person that was leading to the tour comes back and says, are are you ready to move on with this? He's like, no, there's something wrong with this picture. And the the person that described the picture and works at, at this beautiful art museum was like, well, well, what's wrong? And so the guy goes, well, I don't know if you know, I am a world champion chess player. And I just think that that this picture is inaccurate. And he says, well, what do you mean? Lucifer has the upper move. He's got the grin. Man is defeated. His soul belongs to Lucifer. And he starts to respond to this individual. And he says, listen, I don't know if you heard me the first time, but I am a world champion chess player. And I can see things that people don't normally see if they don't play the game of chess. And the the curator is like, well, what do you mean? The guy's lost. The title of the, the painting is Checkmate. He goes, I get what you're saying, but here's what I'm telling you. I think that the artist either made a mistake or he has to rename this picture. Because what I recognize in this picture is that it's inaccurate according to its name. And then all the other athletes come and they're like, well, dude, are you coming with us or are you staying here? He's like, well, wait a minute. I don't know if any of you know, I am a world champion chess player. And I'm here to tell you that they either have to change the name of this picture or the artist has to change the painting. He goes, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, what I mean is I can see what others can't see because I am a world champion chess player. Well, why don't you just get it out then? What I want you to hear the world champion chess player says is that mankind looks like he's defeated when in reality he's got one more move. He goes, well, what do you mean? He goes, I'm here to tell you that Satan lied to man. He doesn't have checkmate on the man. I'm here to tell you that his king has one more move. And if he has one more move, he can defeat Lucifer at his own trickery, at his own game. Well, pastor, what are you saying? In the Old Testament, when Moses set the people free, out of Pharaoh's oppression and they came up against the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was coming against the children of Israel and the children of Israel were crying out to Moses, Moses, did you bring us out into this wilderness to die? And Moses is like, no, I didn't. And he lifts up his hands and reminds them that their king has one more move and 
and the Red Sea is split and the children of Israel cross on dry land and as the army comes behind them the water floods into them and annihilates their enemy never ever to be seen again by the children of Israel because their king had one more move when three boys decided I will not bow down to a golden image I will not bow down to an idol I serve a living God and you can throw me into the fire my God will rescue me but even if he doesn't, I will not bow down. And King Nebuchadnezzar made the fire even hotter. He threw the children into the furnace, but in the furnace was the king of kings. There was one more move. When they told Daniel not to pray, Daniel says, I'm going to open up my windows and I'm going to pray over Babylon because I'm a son of the Most High God. They threw him into the lion's den and the next morning they thought that he was going to be ripped to pieces but he was sitting there going, here kitty kitty, here kitty kitty. Why? Because the king had one more move on Good Friday when the devil said to Jesus, checkmate, you're dead. God responds, I got one more move, and it's the resurrection power. It's the resurrection power. Jesus, come on. Listen, God's not done with your marriage. He's got one more move. God's not done with your children. He's got another move. God's not done with your addiction. He's got one more move. It's the resurrection power of Jesus. That's his move. The question is, how will we respond? Will we spend the rest of our lives living like this guy? Seemingly defeated by the lies of this guy? Or will we declare, God, I know you had one more move. And we see it on Sunday. It's called the resurrection power of Jesus because the same spirit that lives in him lives in all of us today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes right where you're at? Your marriage isn't over. God's got another move. Your children are not beyond salvation. God's got another move. Your addiction doesn't have to have authority over your life. God's got another move. My goodness, your health doesn't have the last word. God does. He's got another move. And I'm just wondering this morning if there's anybody here that would respond to the love and the grace of God by opening up their hearts and minds to Jesus and saying, God, would you save me? Would you rescue me this morning? I've done it my way. And my way has gotten me nowhere. My way has gotten me living like I'm in checkmate to the devil. But I'm here to remind you this morning, he's got another move. And if you're here, and I'm telling you that God is watching. If you're here and you would say, I don't know Jesus, Pastor, as my personal Lord and Savior. All I've ever known was religion. 
But religion has never got you anywhere, but a relationship with Jesus will get you to eternity. And if that's you and you're here today, I want you to get out of your seat right now and come to this altar and let me pray with you. The prayer of salvation. You say, God, I know that you got another move for my life. God, I know that you have another move for my marriage. God, I know that you have another move for my children. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? All around this house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you, thank you. Right where you're at. Right where you're at. Would you just lift your hands? Would you just lift your hands? Because you're going to experience another move right now. A move of the Holy Spirit that's going to transform you in the twinkling of an eye. You're no longer a slave to sin. You will be a child of God. Pray this prayer with me. Mean it with all your heart. Say it to God. Say Jesus. Come on church. Say Jesus. Forgive me of all my sin. I believe that you died and you rose again from the grave for me. Save me. Forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior that I may serve you all the days of my life. This I pray in Jesus' name. Come on, welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. Come on, isn't God good this morning? The Bible says that if you said that prayer and you mean it with all your heart, that all things are passed away, all your sin, all your mess, all your past, it's gone. Today, you are brand new. Look at somebody say, I'm new. Come on, tell them I'm new. You're new, we're new. Come on, let's lift our voice and worship this morning. Father, we thank you. We worship you, Jesus. We honor you, God. Lord, I just speak life over every family, over every individual in this place. I pray, God, that you move in power to you and you alone be all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Come on, worship team. Take us away.
Jesus, for your resurrecting power that abides in us each and every day, God. Father, I pray for victory in the marriage. I pray for victory in schools. I pray for victory in our homes. Father, thank you. Thank you for resurrecting from the grave, restoring us, uniting us, empowering us, equipping us to fulfill your will upon the earth till the day that you return. You are King of Kings. You are Lord of Lords. You are alive. Thank you, Jesus. We give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise, and all of God's people said.